You're listening to a Corridor Business Journal podcast. I'm Nate Kading, and this is Real Success. This is the Corridor Media Group podcast, where we explore the life and careers of the Corridor's most influential business leaders. Jeff Quint is the founder and owner of Cedar Ridge Distillery, the award-winning distillery that was the first to open in Iowa since Prohibition and is currently home to the number one selling bourbon in Iowa for two straight years. Jeff shares with me how his father influenced and inspired his passion for brewing wine and spirits, why he felt it was time for Iowa, the number one corn producing state, to produce its own bourbon, and what it was like for him to take the leap and leave his job as a chief financial officer to start Cedar Ridge. Jeff also explores how having the local community embrace their brand early on impacted their growth, why his background as a certified public accountant was beneficial to Cedar Ridge's success, and what he believes is in the future for both Cedar Ridge and the adult beverage industry. I learned a lot, and I think you will too. Stay tuned. This episode of Real Success with Nate Kading is brought to you by Midwest One Bank. Midwest One Bank is the proud partner for doers and entrepreneurs in the corridor and beyond. As an SBA preferred lender, our team is ready to help you reach your business goals. It's empowered money management. It's Midwest One Bank, member FDIC. Jeff, thank you so much for taking the time. We're recording this here in uh, what I know is a, a busy time of year for you all over at Cedar Ridge, the holiday season. Nothing nothing goes better uh, than opening your presents than a couple fingers of whiskey the night before on Christmas Eve, especially with it being Cedar Ridge whiskey, uh, uh, the pride and joy here of, of Eastern Iowa. It's been awesome watching uh, you all success since uh, you and your wife started the, the winery, which was originally a winery, which we'll get into in 2003. And and, and now you guys are the number one selling whiskey in Iowa by volume. It's been a, an amazing story. Um, and, and I know you back uh, from your old CPA uh, accounting CFO days uh, prior to that, which I think is really an in- interesting part of your story and where I think uh, is a great place to kick off our conversation today is, you know, Jeff, the CPA, and and where did that intersect with with uh, you know master distiller? That's a pretty pretty yeah. cool uh, cool hybrid of uh, of career trajectories there. So take take us back to you know your your CPA days or college or you know what was the the young sort of twenty three year old Jeff yeah. fresh into the the accounting world? What what were you what was making you tick back then? And and when did it all kind of come come together into being a distiller? Yeah, thanks, Nate. I'm glad to be with you. And, and we are just finishing up, uh, you know, in our industry, what's called uh, OND or SOND, September, October, November, December. That's uh, when the vast majority of, uh, you know, wholesale spirits are uh, are sold. And so, yeah, we're wrapping it up. Um, yeah, so I was uh, in college. I went to UNI, uh, got, came out of the accounting program. I always had a uh, an interest in accounting and uh, more probably more so finance and in the finance of a business specifically. And so most of my career, I was, you know, in a CFO role here or there, usually technology-based companies, but um, I always had a, a passion for wine and spirits. And, you know, my dad uh, he has passed, so I suppose I can admit this. <laughs> it was technically not legal, but uh, he had a little still. Uh, it's it's a federal, uh, you know, law prohibits people from distilling at home. But he had a little still, and uh, you know, we'd 
pick uh, apples, uh, usually off the ground from our small apple orchard and run them through the apple press, uh, ferment the, that into wine. And then he might've run a little of that through his little still uh, <laughs> and uh, end up with some apple brandy. Um, so how, know, old, how that, old was young Jeff at your first taste of that apple brandy? Were you sneaking that stuff? Out? We, we all have stories been, of sneaking into the liquor cabinet. Yeah. yeah. Into my mid teens. And, you know, uh, <laughs> with dad, you didn't have to sneak necessarily. Uh, he was, uh, right. hell, I was the fourth of five kids. I mean, they were just lucky if I came home at night, you know, so, yeah. um, you know, uh, yeah. So that passion was always there. And, um, if you follow my paternal, um, lineage back, uh, the Quint side of my uh, family history, we can trace it all the way back into the 1600s. Wow. And we were, we were in the wine and spirits business that whole time. Um, uh, so my great grandfather moved here in 1881 from um, Vintrich, Germany, which is in the heart of the Mosul wine region. And if you go to Vintrich, Germany today, the prominent winery there is still Weingut Quint. Oh, wow. So my my distant cousins still run uh, cool. that operation. So, you know, it sounds a little hokey, but I, I would say it was in my blood. And, you know, from the passion side of it, I feel like so many people, you know, try to discover their passion and they spend maybe decades trying to discover their passion. And I think a lot of people never really do fully discover what that is. And so I feel really blessed um, that, you know, I, I couldn't be more certain that this was my passion in life and, uh, the not, not only lucky to identify it, mm -hmm. but also lucky to have really been in a position from my careers doing other things, being in a good position to actually, you know, take advantage of it and, and chase it. So yeah, it's been a, it's been an awesome ride. Yeah, absolutely. And, and for those that don't know, you, you all started off as a as a winery back in 2003. Talk a bit about, take us through the, the months or the year leading up to when you all, you know, launched Cedar Ridge originally as mm -hmm. the winery was, you, you mentioned you had the, you know, the distilling, the, the, the wine sort of background in the family, it was in the blood, but was risk taking mm -hmm. also in the blood? Because at the time you were, <laughs> you know, a CFO of a, you know, very successful local company right. in Volta. I mean, that's not a, you know, those career choices aren't easy ones to make to go take the leap and, and, and start another company. Talk, talk a bit about that time in your life and how you, you know, the due diligence that went into it and the planning and when you got to the edge of the cliff and you just decided to jump, right. talk a bit about that. Well, I'll, I'll try. Um, so I would say I was always, always a risk taker, um, you know, but calculated risk taker. I think, you know, the word confidence has to be in there somewhere too. I was, I was confident in, the decision-making process. I, I never felt so uncertain about what we wanted to do with Cedar Ridge that I was afraid to act on it. Sure. Um, and, you know, another thing that I'm convinced of after, you know, having done this, not just at Cedar Ridge, but, you know, with Involta and prior to that, Bruce Lerman and I um, launched LiveWare 5. Um, you have to, you have to get started and dive in uh, and not necessarily leave yourself a lot of uh, ways to escape. You know, like <laughs> the only way out of this is to succeed. The only way out of this is to finish what we started because, 
in every venture I've been involved in, there's periods where you're like, wow, you know, what have I done here? Uh, how do I unravel this? Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you had, I, I talk sometimes to people who are entrepreneurial and they think they want to start something. And I question, you know, I'm not sure this person or that person will ever actually do that because, you know, they're really trying to hedge their bets. Sure. And, um, you know, that's probably a wise thing to do. But for me, it, it wouldn't have worked. I, I had to be all in on something. And, you know, with Cedar Ridge, there was, I would say, at least three different periods where I was entirely all in and I was having doubts and questioning what I had done. Um, And, you know, because of the situation I was in, the only thing I could possibly do was continue to to trudge forward. And, um, you know, you you just try to survive in those early years and, you know, you survive long enough. And uh, you wake up one day and they, they start calling you a success when when all you were really trying to do, right, was get through the week, get through the month, get put a year together. Yep. Was, was and, the uh, whiskey, yeah. you started with wine, obviously, was whiskey part of that business plan yeah. all from the it, beginning? Yeah, very early on, uh, it became part of the plan. Uh, Nate, actually, you know, to get in the wine business the way we got in the wine business where we're using a lot of our own grapes. Um, you know, we started the vineyards and the, it takes three years to develop a vineyard to where it will produce for you. But during that three year period where we're, we were waiting for the, the vineyards to come into production, that's when we chose to add a distillery. You know, it, it's not particularly logical that Iowa would be successful in the wine business. Mm-hmm. Now there's these new grape cultivars that that are helping us here in the upper Midwest uh, build our wine businesses. But it occurred to us that what is completely logical here in Iowa is um, distilling. I mean, uh, most distilled spirits are made from corn and here we are in the corn capital of the country. I I think you could say maybe the corn capital of the world. Yeah. It's a no brainer. And before Cedar Ridge, we Iowans were importing 100% of the $350 million worth of spirits we were consuming every year. I mean, we were selling at the time $4 corn to Kentucky and buying $40 worth of bourbon back from them. That's a 10 time value add. And, you know, I just started to question why are we doing that? Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, it's taken a lot of time for the, the Iowa consumer to, you know, to, to grasp it, but they, they obviously have. And, um, you know, so now there's a number of distilleries in Iowa, a number that will be successful. And, uh, you know, I think uh, it's very logical that we should succeed in that space. You mentioned a few of those times when you're this, I call them, you know, sort of those, oh shit sort of moments where you're like, what did mm-hmm. I get myself into? And how, how, how in the heck do I get myself out type of moments? But was there a moment early on when you were, or, Maybe it was a big sell or a client or a hire that you brought on board. We were like, we might be onto something here that we, we, this thing may work. Was there any of those milestones in the early years? You know, I, I can't think of any single thing that really stood out. Um, you know, we wouldn't have, we wouldn't have made it without um, the acceptance that the high V's um, gave us. I mean, in Iowa, you know, there's plenty of, liquor stores and wine stores, but I mean, hy V's got 
by far the majority, you know, of the, of right. the market share. So, you know, they were always very open and uh, friendly. I mean, there were years where if, if we weren't able to do business with hy V, I I mean, we, we wouldn't have stayed in business. So, you know, I, I'd say early on when we were focused mostly on Iowa, that that was a big uh, a big thing for us to, to be in the good graces of, of hy V. But, um, you know, when we opened in 2005, the day we opened, we had, I think, three wines for sale and um, two spirits for sale, maybe three. We had uh, vodka and we had uh, grappa. Okay, <laughs> and uh, um, we might have had a gin uh, shortly thereafter, but you know the clear spirits, uh, you can make them one day and sell them the next. But, right, uh, whiskey, you know it's uh, what we're busy working around the clock on here in uh, t- this 2022 is uh, whiskey that we will sell in 2026. So, you know that that by the way piece of the puzzle um, ties in nicely with my. Uh, finance and accounting background, I think, because uh, it uh, it's a lot of work, you know, to get your arms around uh, uh, financing and, and uh, forecasting, um, you know, production when the production has to occur four or five years before the sale occurs. Yeah, it, it strikes me that you're uniquely positioned, um, you know, that unique background in finance and accounting uniquely positions you to, you know, for this industry, know, like you just hit on all the, you know, you got to all the projections and the time and the, there's a lot of that kind of that comes in and you, you're in a unique spot, even though, you know, you might not have come up through a, you know, working originally out of, at a college in some sort of distillery or brewery. Mm-hmm. Talk a bit about how that has really played into your success as a business owner and growing the business, having a, a strong finance and accounting background. Well, I, you know, I'd say it's been invaluable um, in this business because, you know, it's very capital intensive. I mean, we're putting away, you know, a hundred and some thousand cases of whiskey here this year that we'll sell in 2026 and 2027. And, you know, in order to do that, uh, you got to have, um, you know, good, good banking relationships and, um, you know, spend a lot of time focused on your balance sheet and, um, you know, even future balance sheets. Um, and then, you know, beyond that, there's just the, all the business sense of uh, putting the whiskey away at, at, uh, at the right costs mm-hmm. and uh, managing costs. Um, you know, getting barrels is really hard right now. Getting glass bottles from over, you know, which are almost all made overseas. Um, from overseas right now, you know, a lot of logistics issues we've been dealing with. So, you know, and, and my background has been uh, valuable, I think, in in uh, most of those facets of the business. And, and what's been the most challenging part of coming from an accounting background, finance background to then being a business owner? What's been the, what's been the thing that's taken you the, the longest to sort of adapt to or, or build a skill set around? Well, you know, for, I would say for most people, um, a lot of accountants, uh, by their nature, people that gravitate towards accounting aren't necessarily good on the sales and marketing front. And I, I would say I uh, am at least uh, useful on that sales and, and marketing uh, side of the, <laughs> yeah. the puzzle. And, uh, you know, to have uh, at least some level of confidence and skill in that arena also sure. has been, you know, to me, what 
what uh, improved my chances as an entrepreneur that it wasn't just accounting. I mean, frankly, that's you know, a rare I've mix. never been yeah. in love with accounting. I mean, I, I'd say the reason I'm an accountant is I went to UNI because that was the only school I could afford to go to. I was the only kid in my family to even go to college. And, um, you know, when I got there, I realized what's the most challenging thing uh, at UNI? It's to get through the accounting program. And mm-hmm. I kind of, you know, I knew I wanted to be in, a, in some business, um, you know, occupation. And so, you know, I just jumped into the accounting program and uh, turned out to be an accountant. I think if I'd have gone to Iowa, I'd have probably turned out to be an engineer because I enjoy that kind of thing as well. Back to this sort of journey of Cedar Ridge and your professional journey. um, Where did you feel like the, we know it now as a 20, you know, 20 year old, mature, almost 20 years. uh, Was there an inflection point at some point in time when, you know, I know we just we, we talked earlier about, you know, one of those moments that, hey, you know, this is this thing might work. But was there another moment there halfway through or three fourths away through like, man, we might this, this thing might really work. You know, is there well, was it a you number know, you hit a cases or was there an award or, you know, what, when did you what are you like? OK, now we now we got something going here. Well, it's funny, you know, most of the things I remember are the are the times when I almost didn't make it, uh, not the times that uh that uh, my uh, success accelerated. Well, but, go, go back to uh, that. Talk, talk, <laughs> sure. talk, talk a bit well, about one of those. That, one of those. Well, but I will say, you know, before I forget your question, uh, you know, early on, one of my mentors was a gentleman named Dick Damro, uh, a marketing executive who was brilliant on the branding front. And it was so generous with his time for me. And he, he unfortunately uh, passed away uh, way too young, but uh, I remember telling Dick the first month I hit 20,000 in revenues. And I could tell you, Nate, that I, I was ecstatic mm-hmm. that I, you know, I couldn't believe we sold $20,000 worth of product in a month. And I remember sharing that with Dick and that, that's, that's the, cool. I, that felt great to me at the time, but um, you know, to, to get back then to the, the other part of the equation. I mean, I remember um, we were still in downtown Cedar Rapids when the flood hit, I think that was what June 13th, of 2008, Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we, we got three and a half feet of water, um, in there, which was a lot less than some people, but, you know, we were also clear up by, you know, the post office there in Cedar Rapids. And, uh, I remember, you know, when the water subsided, um, coming back and, uh, you know, there were like dead fish in yeah. our distillery and, you know, that's not a, that's not a obvious, blend of whiskey that's going to sell. That's not going to move off. A lot the of shelf. stuff that was obviously going to get thrown out. But before we had uh, abandoned ship, you know, I did fill the still with water, mm-hmm. which um, kept it from floating away. And then, um, you know, we had put as much inventory as we possibly could up high before we before we bailed. And um, you know, I wasn't sure. I remember that day. I wasn't sure we were going to. Stay in business because, you know, we didn't have flood insurance. I mean, anybody that tried to sell you flood insurance at that location, you thought they were uh, scamming you. But, um, uh, you know, I checked the the phone and, you know, there were a few stores who had called in wanting some stuff ordered. And, um, you know, we happened to have what they needed. And so, you know, we just kind of almost accidentally resume doing business. And, you know, there was a year there where I didn't have a lot of inventory, but, um, you know, we got through it and, uh, you know, and, uh, and kept going. But I remember, you know, very specifically wondering if our business was done. 
And then I think the the day we opened up out here at our location near Swisher, um, you know, that was uh, the big milestone. I was yeah. all in on, at that point. You know, it's like, why didn't you build the building bigger? Well, this is as big a building as I could afford at the time, you know, <laughs> and so many things like that. Right. Um, you know, so then, you know, we outgrew that. And, um, you know, a year and a half ago, we did a pretty major production expansion. And that's why we're adding, you know, every year you'll see a new building out here. We're continuing to add rec houses uh, for two more years yet. Um, we put one up this year. We put one up last year and we've got mm-hmm. two more after that. But that's just to size up to our new production volume. So, um, you know, you just keep, you, you know, you, you invest all you can and then and then you grow back into, you know, your shoes kind of. And then uh, you decide if you want to do it again. And, you know, I've always looked at the business kind of almost like a, a child, um, you know, or like it's separate from me. If the if I feel like the business wants to grow, you know, if I feel that momentum. Yep. Um, you're not growing for growth's sake. Yeah. You're, yep. Yeah. I try to let it do what feels natural to let it do. And I try to, uh, you know, stay ahead of that. And, um, you know, that's probably what's gotten us here and, uh, it'll be interesting to see what the next decade looks like. Yeah. As you look out onto the next decade in the, in the spirits world, and and obviously you guys rode some great tailwinds and were incredibly smart about it. This, you know, the local, local craft movement, whether it was, uh, you know, local breweries, um, local distilleries, but I know if you look at the data, I don't know off the top of my head, but both breweries and distilleries, I mean, have, you know, grown probably 5X since what they were yeah. 10, 15 years ago. Where do you see the industry going, both spirits industry, and then where do you see local distilleries moving? And and, and how do you see Cedar Ridge differentiating itself uh, amidst the pack going forward? Yeah. Well, you know, when we started, uh, we were one of maybe a couple dozen uh, craft distilleries in the country right there you know, all there were were the big players, you know, when, when prohibition ended in 1933, you know, for some reason, there seemed to be a few uh, enterprises in Kentucky and Tennessee who had a pretty good head start on the booze business. uh, And the, you know, they became the dominant players. And then uh, only recently have all these little guys um, cropped up. And, you know, when we started in 05, I mean, they they weren't even using the term craft distillers. I mean, craft distilling didn't really uh, uh, come along as, you know, as a name for ourselves until about right. 2010 or 2011. But um, there's a place for craft distillers that will probably never go away. I mean, who doesn't want, you know, one more option locally for things to go to? You know, you go to your brewery, you go to your winery, you go to your local distillery. And so there's going to be, you know, room, room for them. Um, but, you know, we're, we've been at this maybe a little longer and uh, have had the opportunity to, to develop a little bit bigger business than most of them. And, you know, in 20, I would say it was 2018 or 17 that we officially uh, established our uh, our BHAG, our big, hairy, audacious goal, mm-hmm. as uh, Jim Collins uh, coined it. Uh, it was to become the number one selling bourbon in our in our category in Iowa. And um, uh, in 
2020, we accomplished that goal. Now I think we have a 30, 35% lead over second place in, in uh, bourbon sales here in Iowa. Um, and so now, you know, our, our new BHAG is um, to become uh, the dominant or the undisputed dominant craft whiskey producer for the upper Midwest. And, you know, we have some definition behind all that, but, um, you know, so now we're um, working the contiguous uh, state markets uh, hard and yep. we're um, you know, it's, it's, it'll be a lengthy process, um, but I think well worth it. And it's um, natural for us to progress into more of a regional brand, um, you know, which has been done many times successfully. So we're not uh, doing anything that's that unusual, but that's, that's where we're Next focused now. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, I would hate to be starting new as a distillery today and, and trying to establish any kind of a goal like that. I mean, hell, it's, you know, a year of planning and a year of construction and then, uh, you know, four years of right. that's barrel big, rest. Big moat so around you, the business there. Yeah. That's... <laughs> You're six years out before you have products. So. Yep. And you've got, got all the, all the, the momentum of the brand, which, which, to talk about the brand real quick, I think that's something you guys have done an amazing job of, um, you know, just thinking about the story. If you go to your website now, you guys have a great video there that really <clears throat> hits on this concept of, you know, where the, where the corn come from and, and the, you know, really plays up what makes you guys unique. Talk a bit about how you approach brand and, and brand identity and storytelling about Cedar Ridge. Um, you know, who do you work with on those sort of yeah. concepts and how involved mm-hmm. are you? And because uh, I think that's something you guys have really done a, an amazing job at. Thanks. I think that's something, you know, I have to stay involved in and I, and I'm getting much less involved in a lot of things here, but certainly the, the brand is something I have to, I think, keep an eye on, or I'm going to keep an eye on myself. Um, you know, but we did some things early on, we made some decisions early on, you know, and it gets a little technical, but, um, you know, we ferment and, and distill off grain. Uh, in other words, we take all the solids and the husks, out of the liquid um, way up front during the mashing process, not after we've distilled it. Um, and so by doing that, we end, we end up with a, a more approachable whiskey. And, you know, we're certain that that's true. Mm-hmm. Now, does the consumer need to know all that? I think the only message we're trying to get to the consumer is that this is a easy sipping whiskey. It's very approachable. It's, you know, if, if you're uh, this is a good everyday bourbon for you, yep. you know, versus some of the stuff that's on the other end of the spectrum that's, you know, purposefully uh, quite harsh and, you know, powerful. We're kind of on the more delicate end of the spectrum. So, you know, we need to recognize that and we need to appeal to that that buyer. Um, you know, we have, um, you know, we work with fuel. We continue to work with fuel up in Hiawatha. They've done a lot of great uh, visual identity work for us. And then more recently, um, we've started working with um, a company out of Louisville, Kentucky, um, that um, on some of our uh, branding and, and marketing message, um, th- they were the ones that helped uh, Four Roses establish itself originally. So, yep. you know, I think we we try to pick good partners in that respect. And, um, uh, you know, we've had to modify some things as we break into some of these neighboring markets. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like we're t- taking the word Iowa off the front of the label in some of these other markets, because, you know, for some people, it's good to have it on there for other buyers. It might not be. Right. So we just, you know, just get it off there is the advice that we got. So we, you know, we, we continue to 
fashion uh, our branding and messaging as we uh, as we continue to learn. Yeah, it continues to to change and morph around the edges, but the core of it and the core story remains the same and remains remains powerful. How do you think of the brand or, or the legacy of the company? What do you you mentioned the big hairy audacious goal? You know, those are numbers and sales and those sort of things within the region. But how about some more of the sort of existential sort of fluffy stuff? Like what do you what do you want Cedar Ridge to be remembered as? You know, what do you want it to be 10, 20, 30 years from now? Yeah, I think the only thing I could say there, Nate, is um, I I think I want our legacy to be that Cedar Ridge put uh, Iowa on the bourbon map. And, you know, to an Iowan that, that drinks whiskey, they would say, well, you've already done that. But, you know, to a Minnesotan or a, or a, you know, someone from Illinois or Missouri, you know, that's not necessarily the case um, yet. So, you know, we have some work there to do, but that's, that's the extent of the legacy that I'm shooting for here. And, you know, that's not a legacy for me, Jeff, that's a legacy for Cedar Ridge. Um, And so, you know, that's, that's what's really important to me. Absolutely. And then of course you guys have a beautiful headquarters and facility, you know, located just, just South of, uh, of Cedar Rapids, North of, North of the Johnson County area, North Johnson County area. That's become a important part of the community as well. Right. In terms of, um, you know, a place to come experience the, the natural beauty of the area and, and, you know, you guys have amazing food and and taste a, you know, a, a local craft product that's, you know, coming just the grains 40 minutes up the road and all those sort of things. And it's, it's an important part of the community as well that Cedar Ridge has been able to build out there. And Nate, when we, when we opened up out here at this location, you know, what uh, was very important to us at that stage was to get people here. And so all of our marketing was local. All of our marketing was to try to get bodies out here. Well, it, took us literally just a matter of weeks to realize, okay, we need more food options because people want to come out and have food while they're here. And we need more uh, live music at the venue, you know, because people, that's how you're going to get them to stay and bring their friends. And so for, for several years, when we opened up out here, I mean, most of our effort was to get people here and, you know, we get well over a hundred thousand visitors a year out here now. Um, there's nights when we really um, can't fit more people out here. So, you know, it was nice to get to that level locally. Yeah. And, you know, y- you come out, Nate, with uh, you have a buddy that comes to town. Well, you got to kill a couple of days. What are you going to do? Well, one thing on your list might be to swing out to Cedar Ridge, right? Absolutely. And so you're you're introducing your buddies to our brand. And, um, you know, it's not really costing us anything because uh, we're probably going to sell you a pizza and a cocktail while you're here. So, um, you know, it's it's the best brand building we could do early on in our development was um, to get the locals to embrace us. And we're incredibly grateful that uh, that that happened. Yeah. And you start to think of it, you know, like what you've done and Paul down at Wilson's Orchard is part of this sort Mm -hmm. of culinary tourism or ag tourism. I know those are you know, important parts of, you know, quality of life and you hit it on the head, you know, someone comes in on a convention or whatever to Cedar Rapids uh, and you want to come show off your community and what, what the best is to offer. You're going to take them down to Cedar Ridge and they become as part of the quintessential 
you know, Eastern Iowa, you know, Cedar Rapidian experience and something everybody can take a lot of pride in. And, and you guys have built that not only, not only in the bottle, the liquid in the bottle, but, uh, you know, you, when you go out to the, to the headquarters and the, and the facility there, you can, you can see it there as well. It's become a, an important part of the, the fabric of the community. And when we were looking for sites for Cedar Ridge, you know, my wife and I, this would have been in 2002, <laughs> um, you know, we, we absolutely wanted to be on a hard surface road somewhere between Cedar Rapids and Iowa City. And uh, we were fortunate to have found this location. And it's such a perfect location uh, to add the vineyards that we added. Um, you know, they like these side hills and, um, um, you know, vines mm -hmm. like to, yeah, like to be dry, not wet. And we, we have a good environment for them here. But, you know, that uh, we are, we're in the center of the corridor on a hard surface road. And, you know, you see a lot of these guys, they're, they're uh, you know, and I hope they all do well, but you know, some of them are on a gravel road, 10 miles from the nearest town. And, you know, you're just not going to get the traffic. I mean, you gotta, you, you know, we were, I think, smart enough on the front end um, to find a location that's, that's, rural which Absolutely. is nice but it's also around a lot of people so that's certainly been beneficial yeah absolutely just one or two more questions here to finish up but i know the the whiskey world spirits world has to be also fun and interesting and and you meet a lot of really unique people i know you guys have done partnerships with folks like slipknot and uh you know people drinking your libations mm -hmm. and, and connections and traveling all over the world to showcase cedar ridge any funny story or unique person that you've met that really stands out during your, your career there at Cedar Ridge? Oh, uh, wow. Uh, you know, I, I would say uh, lots and lots of them, but not anyone that I could single out. I mean, I do remember, I guess you mentioned Slipknot. <laughs> I probably shouldn't say this uh, in a public forum where, where they could even hear it, but uh, I got a email from uh, their manager out in Brooklyn, New York. Uh, hey, I'm, you know, the man, I manage a band called Slipknot. I hope you've heard of it, but we, you know, we'd like to do a collaboration on whiskey uh, with you. And, um, you know, I get a lot of that stuff and I literally had my finger on the delete key and something <laughs> told me I should send that to the management team. You know, that's not, I'm kind of a blues guy, uh, not a, not yeah. a hard metal guy. So I wasn't all that familiar with Slipknot. And uh, I sent it to my uh, management team and probably within 10 minutes, I had like three responses back saying, you know, we better talk to these guys. And, um, you know, so that's kind of an interesting story. I, I think I framed up the email of something like, um, we don't want anything to do with this, right? Yeah. <laughs> See below, we don't want anything yeah. to do with this. And uh, hell, I think one year we probably sold more Slipknot whiskey than, than uh, our own. So <laughs> Uh, you know, that turned out to be a, a fun project. And, you know, those guys are amazing uh, clown, uh, you know, who's, we kind of think of him as the band leader here, at least up from an Iowans viewpoint and uh, uh, interesting guy. Yeah. yeah. The places, the business will take you people you'll meet, <laughs> which is part of the fun, but well, Jeff, thank you so much. We like to conclude, you know, the conversations with you just sort of, looking back on your career success and, and giving us a, you know, a definition of, of what success means to you. And if you were to, you know, define success in one sentence, how would you do it? I like to use the word contentment. Um, you know, success, you know, there's lots of different kinds of success and, you know, there's financial success and there's, you know, uh, raising uh, uh, a healthy 
happy family. And there's all kinds of different ways you can look at success. But, you know, one thing that I think is universal um, that I spend a lot of time thinking about is, you know, contentment. Mm-hmm. You know, I want, that's what I want for like my children. You know, you can't always have riches. You can't always have the best looks. You can't always have, you know, the best experiences, but uh, you know, you can probably um, be content uh, and, you know, that, that relaxed, easy feeling of uh, accepting, you know, everything and, and uh, finding contentment. So, you know, that's just a word, uh, a pet word, that uh, I spend a lot of time pursuing. Uh, I, I look for contentment. You know what and, helps? Uh, you know what helps me find contentment? It's <laughs> a up? nice glass of whiskey by the fire here in <laughs> Iowa winter. I that's uh, you were to that, that helps me find some nice contentment. That's that's great. I I, I totally agree. Whether it's you know professionally or personally, being able to you know to be content and and be be satisfied in, in what you're doing is certainly a great measuring stick for success. But Jeff, thank you so much for, for taking the time. This has been awesome and, and keep up the great work. All of us, uh, Iowans are certainly proud to call Cedar Ridge, uh, you know, home and, and one of our great products that comes out of the area and, and keep doing Keep up the great work. Well, maybe we can get together and share bourbon soon. Nate. Absolutely. You have, have a Take great care. holiday. Big thanks to Jeff Quint for coming onto the show to talk about his real success. If you'd like to learn more about Cedar Ridge, you can visit cedarridgewhiskey.com. I'd also like to thank this podcast sponsor, Midwest One Bank. Experience simply better banking at midwestone.bank. And this podcast is produced by LAS Media Group, located here in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. For more information on them, you can visit lasmediagroup.com. And of course, if you enjoy this show, please consider subscribing and reviewing on your podcast platform of choice. It helps us to continue to develop and grow. Real Success with Nate Kading is a Corridor Media Group podcast. And for more information, visit CorridorBusiness.com.